I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Susan. She has trigeminal neuralgia. Let's talk about it. Um, well, we are sitting here with Susan um, uh, in the same province, uh, except just a little bit further away from us. Uh, uh, you're in uh, New Glasgow, which is a lovely, lovely spot. Uh, Susan, first of all, I just want to say thank you for, for joining us and being so brave, knowing that your daughter, Sarah, is listening and, uh, and praying that you're not going to be awkward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Judging your awkwardness moment by moment. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but your daughter uh, is, is the one that uh, got you into the show. Is that correct? That's right. She, uh, she's a big fan of you guys, <laughs> and she talks about um, a lot of your previous podcasts. And she kind of said, you know, you really should reach out to them and share your story. And I didn't really think a lot about it at first because I thought, oh, nobody cares. Nobody cares about my story. And she said, no, no, they they're really genuine. And I think they would be interested. And lo and behold, here I am. Well, we are interested. And and one of the reasons why uh, I'm so interested is, uh, well, there's two reasons. Number one is um, when I first read your application, the first couple of paragraphs of your application gave me a little bit of anxiety, uh, and so uh, so th- th- which was has to do with like the early stages of your story. Um, but secondly, the other reason is because I I actually have no idea what it is that you have, and I'm going to try to pronounce it here: trigeminal neuralgia. Yep, you got it. Nice. What dude. the yeah. fuck is that? <laughs> That's like one of the yeah. only times you've ever gotten like a, 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 word, a medical word right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Like I, back in 2011, I got this kind of hinge in the left side of my face. And at first, have you guys ever had tinfoil on a filling in your mouth? Like, have you you know that feeling? Yeah, oh, yeah. I haven't, but I've I, I've uh, I've uh, I've I I feel like I've been told. Uh, that I've, I feel like I've heard the analogy like su- su- such and such is like chewing tinfoil. Yeah, right. well, I actually know this very, I'm very familiar with this feeling because when I was in uh, high school, I used to make grills um, <laughs> with tinfoil, you know, like take tinfoil and form it around your teeth and then, because I was like a big 50 cent fan, you know, you need, need an awkward, You know, I don't want to get too leader. far off off the, 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 the beaten path here. But um, just moments ago in the recording we had just before you, Susan, Brian was asking uh, a very smart person who works in the medical industry when we're going to be getting our honorary doctorates. And I think what you just said right there <laughs> might be the single dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. And you've just reset the counter oh, on man. how was- much work we have to do to get that those goddamn a, degrees. That, listen, that was me a long time ago, and I'm <laughs> sure there's a lot of doctors 
who have medical degrees well, who did some dumb shit like that too <laughs> okay, okay. when everybody, they were in high school. Everybody who's ever run for office knows that <laughs> you never change. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Susan, coming back to your story. Yeah, so so no. you had this like tinge of pain yeah, in your mouth. So it kind of was like, well, that's kind of weird. And so I went to see my dentist and he said, oh, it's probably a cracked tooth. Oh so. my God. This, see, this is the thing that gives me a bit of anxiety. Yeah. Mm. So, I don't like okay. dentists or dental Yeah, work. no, well, exactly. So went and he kind of filled in the tooth. He took an x-ray and yeah, he said there might be a little bit of a crack there. So we filled it in and no, didn't really fix the issue kind of, and it was getting a little bit more intense. Um, you know, you'd get a, I'd get a bit of a jolt and, you know, I would be speaking and all of a sudden I'd get uh, a, a severe pain and mm. it would go away. It just, a, it was just like a, a thunder, a lightning bolt. Was that like a, is that the like nerve pain that just yeah. is like so it, piercing and excruciating? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it was so very quick. It would just it like was hit very and go. Quick. Right. Exactly. And, um, so then he said, okay, well maybe it's, maybe it's a root, maybe a root canal you might need. Oh. Yeah. So I said, well, okay, let's, let's go with that route. So I went to, um, to a specialist for a root canal and I was trying kind of talking to him about my issues and stuff. And he said, Oh yeah, that sounds interesting. And he said, it wouldn't be trigeminal neuralgia because you wouldn't be able to get off the couch. And I never really thought anything more of it. So anyway, did the root canal kind of went worse, just didn't fix it oh, at all. Fuck so how, I how called, bad can I ask a question? Cause I, I have a bit of a fear specifically surrounding root canals. How bad was it or are we at a point now yeah yeah. i almost fell asleep honestly it was very i did not have any issue with the root canal at all is that because you didn't fucking need it (laughs) probably good point very good point very good point (laughs) so um anyway um the the appointment was in furrow so i was driving back what was it that he said i didn't have and um so anyway, I called back to the office and I asked the receptionist, I said, can you ask the doctor what he said I didn't have? And she said, yeah, hold on. So anyway, she said, he said you didn't have trigeminal neuralgia. So I did my own web MD and went online and said, you know, trigeminal neuralgia. And I read through it and I said, oh my God, that is exactly what I have. He Whoa. didn't tell you that it was opposite day. He did not. So I, I kind of self-diagnosed myself and went to my family doctor and said, look, I really believe this is what I have. And of course, I'm sure, you know, as all doctors do, you know, the patients come and tell them what they have and you need to fix me. And sure, sure, this is exactly what you have. No, no doubt. So, but my family doctor was, was really patient and really, because he had kind of thought to, you know, what is it? Because if it's if if this isn't fixing it, then something's going on. So I basically um, he basically set me up with a, a neurologist, to, you know, to to get that done. And that was so. This started in twenty eleven, and I saw the neurologist in May of twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. And so I've been going through this, and it does go away. It does the trigeminal neuralgia does go into remission. Um, but what happens is the more remissions you go into when they come back, they're shorter and much more painful. Susan, can I, can I ask like when you first started to Google that, um, and you're on like WebMD searching, like what, what were the things that you were 
reading that you were like, oh shit, this is exactly what I'm experiencing. Mm. Um, electrical stabbing pain in the side of your face. Um, you know, not being able to move your mouth without fear of being jolted. It literally feels like someone was um, stabbing you in the face. And was it explaining Jesus like Christ. what like what causes that to happen or why that's happening? Well, and that was the frustrating part. It's rare. Uh, you know, the typical typically more happens with men over 50, um, you know, so there's no known causes and no known cures. Um, so that was really scary. And the fact that it's dubbed the suicide disease was like when my husband heard that, Whoa. he was like, no, that's not what you have. You don't have that because it's such a, a profound nickname for this, this mm-hmm. thing. Oh, this is a sweet episode title though for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is it titled is, is the, is the, is the moniker, the suicide disease? Is that because it just drives one to madness to the, to the, like, like you're in so much agonizing pain that yeah. your only way out is, is to, is to end your life. Like that's, that's, that's what's profound. behind that name. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And because there's, it, it's not like, Oh, if I stop doing this, it will stop. Or mm. if I start doing this, it will make it go away. Right. There's no known cure. Um, like I would literally be walking and the vibration from my walk, from my feet would, would jolt the trigeminal nerve, ner- you know, the nerve. And I would be stopped in my tracks. And so it's the quality of life. I mean, you couldn't, yeah. you, I couldn't eat. I couldn't brush my teeth. Whoa. I could hardly drink, uh, you know, some water. And like, I would, you know, my, <sighs> my face, I would have a hard time speaking. So I would really speak like this. Oh and my God. It, you know, it was, and so sometimes like if I was going to eat something with the spoon, I couldn't have the spoon like anyone else would normal. I'd kind of have to lick the spoon. It was just, I mean, it's your quality of life. Is just- yeah. Can, can I ask you like, wh- like what, what's happened? Why? What's happening? Like what, what is happening in your body to cause such, uh, such agony? So what it is in a nutshell is your blood vessel in the trigeminal ner- nerve is rubbing against it. So it's, it's causing this, this rubbing and that's what's, that's causing the nerve pain. Wow. That's it. So, I mean, oh, that wow. sounds so simply, that sounds like such an easy fix. I, like, it, like, I mean, I know I, I don't, I don't mean to sound like a complete fucking idiot when I say that, but like, you know, w- w- the way you, you describe that is like, well, it's simply just something in your body rubbing up against a nerve. So like, Stop are we, it. are we, yeah. Like, are we not at a point in medical, like, yeah. like advancements where some, a surgeon can go, all right, let me just open you up there, move that or pull and that out. And then, okay. Okay. But the problem is, um, it's not a permanent solution. So it, what I had done. So in 2013, um, I was, um, blessed and I definitely was blessed to, to be in the, the gracious presence of Dr. Gwyneth Pickett. She's a, a, a neurosurgeon in, uh, in Halifax, and uh, she saved my life. Mm. So what we did, well, there were some options, and there still are some options, but what we can do here in Nova Scotia is um, we can do a balloon treatment where they basically stick a needle up your cheek, inflate a balloon, deflate it, and it damages the nerve and kind of, and I've had that done, but that unfortunately didn't work because it's mm. very 
it's, it's, a, it's a day surgery. It was a very easy thing. But in 2013, she said that I was a good candidate for uh, microvascular decompression surgery. So what that is, is they basically go into the back of your skull and they drill out like a, a loony sized hole in the back of your skull. Holy shit. Yeah. And they take, you know, these little tiny instruments and she's looking at a huge TV screen in the, in the operating room and she's taking these little tiny instruments and she's playing around in your brain basically. And Whoa. Um, so what they do, what they typically do is they put a pad between the vessel and the trigeminal nerve and so you back up and you know send you on your way but as you can appreciate brain surgery is quite uh you know invasive invasive, <laughs> yeah. yeah for lack yeah. of a better word <laughs> yeah. and uh so um but i had immediate success with that uh back in Whoa. 2013 now, what she, in my situation, it was different. She didn't need to put the pad. So when she went in and looked at it, she said it was just a, a, a jumble of nerves. So basically at the time, she said she cauterized the nerves. You won't have any, any more issues ever again and sent me on my way. Hmm. Um, but unfortunately, that was not to be the case. Jeez. Um, oh, yeah. Interesting. I was so, going to ask if they, were, if, they, if they ever talked about just killing the nerve or if that would just cause like more widespread like would you not be able to use your jaw or something like that if they so when she that? cauterized the nerve in 2013 i was pain and medication free so um because all these medications that you that they put me on and tried me on it was so many cocktails i mean i couldn't i couldn't drive you i mean it's you're just in a mm -hmm. daze you're pretty much high all the time and you just you're not yourself and um so anyway, to be pain and medication free at, in 2013 was, like I said, she mm -hmm. saved my life. Um, but back in 2017, that familiar tinfoil feeling came back and I thought, oh, no, that cannot oh, be. Oh, no. That cannot be. And I remember I was driving to Anaganish, actually, with my daughter, Sarah, uh, to a soccer game. And it it hit me and I couldn't believe it. I tried to keep it together as much as I could because like, I wasn't in constant pain at then, but I just knew that it was coming back. Mm -hmm. um, so she was out playing her soccer game and I literally, when I was sitting in the car watching her, I couldn't open my mouth. Mm -hmm. so and that is such a, and that is such a crazy, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a significant, uh, obviously there's, I'm sure as you kind of alluded to there, there's, there's, you know, more to that, um, to that journey in terms of like the, the, the amount of time that you spent dealing with pain. I mean, but to have that start in 2011 and then for it to be resolved, uh, albeit temporarily until 2013 or so, or, or between 2012 when you started having the surgery, it sounds like, um, you know, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th I think when we look, when we look back and we go, Oh, this is a decade ago. And we look at these chunks of time, like it, it seems short in the mm -hmm. context of like, right. oh, it's been, it was a decade ago and there was between this year and this year. But like, that is a really long time. I mean, if I get a canker sore that lasts for more than two weeks, yeah. I'm like, fuck, this is horrible. Yeah. And you know, that's relative to my experience, obviously, and not necessarily comparable to yours, but <laughs> um, at least like in the sense of going, dealing with something for such a prolonged period mm. of time, like, did you feel... Um, you know, as time went on with the pain, did you start to relate 
to this, uh, to this super intense moniker that was given to the disease? Did you start to go, I get it? Oh, 100%. I mean, I never, you know, and I, I don't want to, you know, dramatize my situation. I certainly didn't contemplate anything, uh, any more, anything serious, but I certainly thought I get it. I don't, I, I can't, how can I have a quality of life? I have two children. I have a husband. I, you know, I, I have a career. Like, how do I, how do I work this into my life? Mm -hmm. And is, you know, this fact that it came back in 2017 and it, fortunately in 2017, I was on, so I got in with Dr. Pickett again right away and she was so compassionate and, and so apologetic. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Mm. Um, and, and, um, basically started medication again. So I was able to at least function in society with gabapentin. That was the drug that mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. uh, most successful with. Um, but as time again, as I was saying, the remissions got shorter and the pain got more intense. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the, one, like one of the, I'm on the, 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 uh, trigeminal neuralgia, um, Wikipedia page. One, one of the sentences that is like so sobering. Um, and you've, you've, you've kind of spoke to this, but, but specifically it says it is regarded as one of the most painful disorders known to medicine. Whoa. Yeah. Now, like, just for a second, just think about all the painful disorders that exist and to be regarded as one of the most painful. Like, that is fucking mind-boggling. It must be so annoying for you to be in, like, the emergency room and, like, hear somebody say to the triage nurse that their pain is a level 10. <laughs> You're like, yeah. you're like, it's a level yeah. 50. Yeah. 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 Well, the yeah. scale has just gone up significantly. It's so wild. I am curious about those, to come back to those two years um, <laughs> between 2011 and 2013 and, and talking about like, like this intense level of pain and all these sort of um, things that you had to do to try to manage your pain, like whether it was you know, not really talking that much or using the spoon in, in the way that you, you, you mentioned. Um, how did you how did you talk to people in your life about what you were going through at that time? Because I imagine that um, you know it was probably fairly obvious um, looking at you that you were you know managing this really intense level of pain. And um, what was it like for you to try to talk about that to people at the time? It was really difficult because it's such a rare disease. A lot of people aren't aware of it. And, um, you know, this is also why I wanted to share my story, because the more I did talk about it with people and, you know, they were like, oh, you know, I met so many people that they knew somebody or um, they they said, you know, my dad has that or um, and they understood. So the feeling of not being alone was very, very helpful. Um, because it is such a rare disease that um, you do, you feel alone, especially before it was diagnosed. Like you're thinking, what's wrong with me? What, what's my issue? And, uh, you know, is this something that it can be fixed? Um, mm -hmm. But um, the more I spoke about it, uh, I realized it was, um, it was important that I share as much information as I can. Because um, after my surgery, I did a, an article in the newspaper about it. And, uh, so many people reached out and said, Oh my gosh, I think this is what I have. And I did get a call from a, an elderly woman 
who said, uh, you know, I read your story, but, you know, you didn't need to go through all that brain surgery to fix that. All you needed was this Raleigh's ointment. <laughs> wow, who are you? Thank you know, you. but yeah. anyway, I never heard of this Raleigh's ointment. So thanks, you know, I'll, I'll keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah, thanks for thanks for the tip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, and I, it's just so important to share the story because it is so rare and. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, people, I remember going into the grocery store and a friend of mine in the neighborhood, she's like, I can see your pain. Mm. I can see your mm-hmm. pain because, and that's the other thing for it to be so de- debilitating. It's not, there's a, it's not something, you, mm. it's not like it's red. Mm. It's not like it's bruised. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's just. Yeah, it's not visible. I think a lot of, all. I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of rare, rare conditions carry a sort of, uh, like a different kind of stigma, um, where, um, where it's not necessarily like taboo, but you know something like let's for, for example something like cancer. It's it's so prevalent, and there's so many people that deal with it, and everybody has an experience with or uh, with it themselves, or with you know probably somebody very close to them who has dealt with it. And so, or even in mainstream media, like how many yeah. movies are made about cancer yeah. patients or cancer experiences? So you're yeah. like your 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 relationship to it, you, you know you. you I think a lot of people, whether they want to, you know, talk in depth about it, at least they're, they, a lot of people have an emotional sort of connection to it where when somebody says they have cancer, it's, it's, it's pretty immediately like, oh, wow, that's horrible. Mm. I'm so sorry. But with something that's like, that's pretty rare, I, I feel like it's probably, I, I, I'm imagining it to be more of a, like a, huh. Sort of, uh, yeah. sort That's of exactly re- reaction, like oh, like and 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 then and the, I think the stigma, the stigma, this like different kind of stigma that I'm that I'm imagining for rare, more rare conditions is 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 just that there's not really a there there can be a lot of people that just don't really have any emotion. Like, there's no emotional tie to it, so the reaction and how to talk about it is kind of like hmm, um, okay, it's kind of just mm. it's kind of like kind of kind of kind of dead, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm wondering, like, is there is there some kind of um, is there some kind of correlation between between uh, TN and like MS? Yeah. So that was the very first thing that they tried to rule out. Um, there is a there is a connection there. So doesn't mean if you have MS that you have TN, or if you have TN that you have MS. But uh, there is a because. Uh, you can have a tumor on your nerve or something like that that would cause it. But yeah, there is a correlation there. But fortunately, that's not in in my situation. Mm-hmm. So when when you mentioned that uh, in 2017, you and and you had this, uh, it, it came back and you started the gabapentin and it, and it was working somewhat manageable. Yeah. What so what sort of happened next? Like, yeah, did you just so, continue to stay on that? Yeah. So basically. Uh, like I said, the remissions got shorter, and when the um, when the pain came back, it got worse and worse. And I couldn't. I was starting to be like, oh, I can't can't have supper tonight. I'm just going to go to bed, or um, you know, you'd be in a meeting and uh, you'd be talking, and all of a sudden it would hit you, and you're just you're just frozen. So I'm like, well, again, my quality of life is is being uh, put in question here. So I have to do something. So. I uh, went to see Dr. Pickett again. So that by now it's um, early 2021. Um, so I was going through three years wow. of that. Um, but early 2021, I, you know, I reached out to Dr. Pickett again and basically said, you know, 
what are my options? Is this something like, is this um, microvascular decompression, the MVD, is that something I can do again? Or it was, like you say, it was very invasive. So I'd rather not, you know, I, I don't really have the, the time to take, you know, six weeks off work, you know, heaven forbid, you know, you take care of your, your health and, and yeah. yourself first. But um, so anyway, she talked, she, she gave me some options. And one of the options was this balloon procedure. And that was where you just stick the needle up, blow the blow, inflate the balloon and then deflate it. And um, she said, but this is, you know, it would only last maybe two, three years. And I said, well, let's try it and see how it goes. Cause it's, it, so we did that in May of um, 2021. And of course, with all the COVID and everything going on, it was, you know, I was very, you know, uh, lucky to get in. And it, it, so when I, I remember waking up in recovery and you're just out in the general recovery and the very first thing that I did was, you know, move my jaw and I'm like, okay, I can still feel it, but it's dull. So, you mm -hmm. know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to live with this. If that's all it is, I'm very mm -hmm. lucky. That's mm -hmm. great. So that happened early May, around May 3rd. Um, and I remember being out for a walk um, maybe two weeks later, less than two weeks later, I was out for a walk and I'm seeing uh, someone in my neighborhood and I was like, hi, how you doing? And as soon as I smiled and said, hello, the pain, I, I literally almost fell to my knees. Oh no! It was like I had never felt before. This was worse than ever. Because uh, what was happening now, it wasn't the electrical jolt anymore. It was spasms. Ooh. And the spasm, I remember I was walking down my street and I was in pure agony and uh, tears streaming down my face thinking, I can't believe this is happening to me. I cannot believe this is worse than it ever had been. And I walked in and I saw my son who you know, was watching TV and he just looked at me and I just kind of went, don't even look at me right now. And I went up to my my bedroom and I just sat there and I cried because I was in so much pain and um it was it was to the point where I couldn't even lick out like if I just lightly you know brushed my lip with my finger I, it would be in a spasm for like 10 15 up to 60 minutes like I would write it down okay I I literally couldn't open my mouth oh my god Whoa. it was the worst I'd ever so I, uh, I had to email the doctor, Dr. Pickett, and I said, I, you know, this is what's happening. This is, these are my spasms. I literally cannot open my mouth. I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. So she, she said, you need to go to emergency right away, get admitted, and they'll send you up to Halifax. We have to do this MVD again. Oh, my God. Wow. So is that, the, is that would be the third time? No, this was third procedure, but second MVD. Oh, okay. So when you went yeah. into emergency, could you even talk to them about? Well, interesting that you bring that up because uh, my going through COVID, you couldn't have anybody in with you. Right, so my husband right. sat, sat with me outside of Emerge. But once I was in triage, I wasn't allowed to go in. So I, I, I typed it out. I typed it out what my wow. issue was. And again, it's so rare. It's so unknown. They didn't have a clue what this was. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, and I understand they were burnt out. And unfortunately, the doctor that I had dealt with in Emerge was like, do you, do you just want a shot or something? And I just remember crying because, and I uh. could cry thinking about it because I thought, 
how cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how cold of you to not understand that I cannot open my mouth and you just think I'm I'm some kind of junkie that needs a shot. I yeah. was I was so done. I was just so done. Were you like did you try to communicate like like you know, Dr. Pickett needs me to be admitted like that's that, that exactly whole, yeah. that's exactly what I did. And she, you know, so anyway, she went and she, called, I guess, QE2 or and and course you know they didn't know what she was talking about so i it was just a very oh, upsetting upsetting yeah. situation but once i was admitted in new glasgow um you know i was there for seven days and in, in the hospital waiting to get because again with dr pickett she tried everything you know her her operation day say is on a tuesday or, or i think it was on a monday for example but because the holiday on was in May, she was going to see if she could switch. Like the care and compassion that I had with Dr. Pickett is, mm. I, I really feel that she is the, the the shining star in this whole thing. Because if it wasn't for her mm. and her understanding of how serious my situation was, um, I'm not sure where I'd be. Mm. Yeah, wow. I I don't um I don't I don't want this to um. I don't mean this in a, I don't mean to offend anybody who is like, who has been like really directly affected by COVID. Um, but in, in, in going through this issue, this whole thing for the last decade and going into the period of the pandemic where we started to see, uh, you know, uh, surgeries get uh, kicked down the line and, um, you know, uh, you know, things getting, Things getting thrown into the elective category that I'm sure a lot of people don't really see as elective. Um, you know, it might technically fall into that category, but for them, it's very necessary and very, very dire in a lot of cases. Um, and I, I think that that was probably, again, not to say that COVID didn't affect a ton of people in really serious ways, um, but that was one of COVID's you know biggest. Um, victims was like oh. was was people that people mm. people that uh, didn't get the care that they needed because because resources were diverted and all this stuff. How did you? So like, my question, roundabout way of saying my question is, like how how did it feel as somebody who is sort of I'm imagining living in a in a state of kind of having that in the back of your mind even when it's not really direct affecting you on a day to day basis like mm. in the back of your mind that you've got this thing that kind of feels like it could come back at any moment and be really serious and affect your life in every single yeah. way scary you know when you started this, when that when that when those rumblings of like you know we're going to we're going to start you know surgeries are going to be canceled or they're going to be occurring later or whatever like how did that feel as that started to happen, like, did you have a sense of fear or anxiety oh, around all that? Complete panic, complete panic. Cause I thought, I, I just don't know how I'm going to move forward in this. I, like I said, I, I was admitted in the hospital on a, I think it was a Tuesday night and I didn't get um, sent to Halifax until the next Monday, the holiday. And uh, so again, being in New Glasgow, like the care was great. The nurses were fantastic. Um, you know, but they couldn't, you know, you need to eat. They, I, they, I can't, I can't eat. I couldn't speak to them. And, um, you know, there was like, they would just keep giving me, you know, giving me some shots in the arm and it wasn't anything to help with the pain. It was just to sedate me. That's, that was purely what mm -hmm. it was for. It was just pure sedation because that's how I could function through. And, um, when I got to Halifax the Monday night, I got there via, um, ambulance 
and I was brought right in and, you know, you talk about COVID and, and mm. stuff. And there was, I had a, an elderly lady in my room with me and uh, she had taken a, a very bad fall and she didn't understand. And it was heartbreaking to me. Here I am, you know, dealing with my issues and I'm, whoa, you know, boo-hoo. My husband can't come in and visit me and my children can't come in and visit me. But she didn't understand why her daughters couldn't come in and see her. And that was, it was heartbreaking. It was, mm -hmm. You know, she'd be so mm -hmm. upset. And they, you know, the nurses were so good. They would do FaceTime, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was a, it was definitely a very, it was definitely a very, uh, a very challenging period. I, I my, my wife was pregnant for, for a, a good chunk of last year. And, mm. um, and, uh, and, you know, there was times where we thought we had to go to the emergency room and that I couldn't, you know, go in with her and, mm. you know, just, it, it just reeked, a, it just reeked a lot of havoc for you know obviously for people dealing with covid and all the and all the havoc that it wreaked specifically and then it's 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 sort of you know the byproduct of covid just you know it it may it had so much damage on uh, we were and we were just talking about that in our last conversation about like how you know it kept people at a hospital that really needed them um, mm -hmm. it kept people from going to the hospital to explore what they might be um, feeling, you know, like it might mm -hmm. keep somebody, you know, probably not somebody in, in as much pain as you, but people who are experiencing stuff that are, you know, uh, you know, they're concerned about something, but you know, it's, it's, it's a 10 hour wait at the emergency room and I can't have any support person and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Compounded on the fact that people here don't have family doctors too. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm curious about the, so the, the second MVD procedure that you had was uh, last year, correct? 2021? Yes, May 2021, yeah. What were the results of that? Like did, because um, you know, the, the first one, it seemed did quite a good job for a little yeah. while. Two weeks. Um no, no, the, no. the the first MVD the first MVD procedure oh, the first was MVD like in tw was, 2013. Was, yeah, it was several was years. Successful till, right, okay, uh, 2017. Right. Yes, right. Uh, but the bloom Sorry, treatment, the bloom yeah, one. that one, bloom was one, a not so much. Was bust. Yeah, yeah, yeah made, made it worse. worse. Yeah. yeah. And so um, how how did this one how did this one pan out? So um, I remember being in the hospital. So I got there Monday night, and my surgery was to take place uh, Thursday, and uh, I remember feeling a lot of anxiety and. Um, about what if this doesn't work? And I would text my husband and call my husband, what if this doesn't work? What am I going to do? And that was my, my main concern um, going in. Like I was more afraid of what if it doesn't work? I, I can't go on like this. Um, this is the worst it's ever been. Um, I was completely destitute. I was just, I was so afraid. Mm. And um I was very open on Facebook, uh, you know, because people were very concerned. And I just basically said, because, you know, the the term, like if someone's going through something, if there's anything I can do, let me know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of always bothered me a little bit because and I know people mean well and, and I don't mean it any any 
harm with with saying that because you know it is important to say that and make sure that people understand that they're there but i thought like if you can do anything for me please please just whatever you believe in or whatever you feel in your heart if you you know if you believe in god then pray for me if you if you just think of me and and just you know think of my family and if there's anything you can do for them like it was i i didn't know like i thought this is it this is going to be my this is it for me I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I remember going down, being wheeled down on Thursday. And I, the anesthesiologist, I said, you know, I wanted, like, am I going to, am I going to be able to talk to Dr. Pickett before I, before you put me to sleep? He said, oh, absolutely. And anyway, I remember holding her hand and I said, I just thank you for everything. And, and uh, she's like, this is all going to be fine. This is, you're going to be fine. And I was just so afraid that, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And um, anyway, so the next thing I know, I'm in recovery and the nurse there, she was trying to wake me up and uh, she's like, am I, I'm like, am I okay? And she's kind of laughed. She said, well, we had to kind of keep you down here longer than ever because you didn't know your married name when we were trying to wake you up. You, you talked about your maiden name and you thought you were at McDonald's. <laughs> so, the drugs so anyway, were good. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Um, but the other thing um, that we had an issue with my poor husband, it was an eight hour surgery wow. and he was waiting at my brother's in Halifax while I was going through this. And normally they have a, a liaison, a nurse liaison that keeps you, informed of the surgery okay they're opening her up or they're you know they're just halfway through she's doing great so I remember going down to the anesthesiologist and I said oh um did you need the my husband's number for the liaison nurse and he said we don't have that because of COVID and I thought oh my god he's how am I how am I going to tell him that he's not going to have this but um, Dr. Pickett called him after the surgery and basically said, you know, she, you know, took her a while to wake up, but, and I still get this little thing in my heart when she said she just needed the extra rest. And, <laughs> and, uh, anyway, um, basically what happened this time that she did differently. And again, there was the pad didn't work because that was the other frustrating thing. Sometimes with an, um, an MRI, they can see an issue. Uh, mm. With me, they couldn't. Uh, so she basically had to go in and explore and see where the issue were, was. Um, so anyway, she combed out the nerves. And this was kind of a new procedure from 2013, and, and, and it's fairly new. She literally combed down the nerves. Oh, God. And oh, um, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, basically that's what took a little longer because she said, she, you know, she cleaned it up a little bit. There was scar tissue. So that's basically why they feel it happened again. There was scar tissue. Um, and um, so she's, they were just about to kind of close me up. And she's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to comb these nerves. I don't, I don't want her to have this issue again. So combing the nerve, basically, like I said, it's literally combing it down. So what happens though, with the, the effects after is that I was completely numb from like half my face and uh, my two fingers on the opposite side of my hand. Like, so my left side of my face and my right hand, two fingers were numb. Hmm. And, uh, but that was, that was normal. And I thought, 
I will take that over anything. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be numb. If I could be numb for the rest of my life and this won't ever come back, I will take it. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was still a little hard to get used to because literally you're, you know, half your tongue, half the side of your face. Um, you know, I couldn't taste on the other side. And uh, even my speech was just because, you know, how you feel when you go to a dentist and your face is kind of yeah, frozen yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. <clears throat> Um, but she said, basically, you know, that'll be six to 12 months and that might go away. And, and so right now I'm still numb basically from my nose up to just above on my forehead, but I will take that anytime. Well, what was that feeling like, you know, going into the surgery and feeling that sort of that fear and anxiety and then, and then coming out and sort of realizing that you were awake and that, that pain was gone. What was that feeling like? (sighs) Well, I mean, uh, besides the pain of the surgery, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the first night I remember, like, you're just in the ICU and I, you, you know, once you wake up, they don't give you anything else because it's brain surgery. They don't give you any drugs to kind of keep you asleep or whatever, because they want to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I remember moaning and groaning all night because of <laughs> just the pure pain of the actual surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember looking up at the clock in the, uh, in my room at, in the ICU. And I called my husband. He's like, hello, you know, in the middle of the night, it was, I was like, I don't have any pain. I, I don't have <laughs> any pain. And he just, you know, he started getting emotional and I was emotional. And I said, other than the surgery pain and, you know, I'm driving the poor nurses crazy with my moaning <laughs> and groaning, but anyway, it was, it was magical. So, um, the only things after that was just your, your typical getting over the surgery. And then I, like I said to the, to the doctor and the nurses, I don't want any more, uh, drugs, please get me. I just don't want any more, like any more of that. And that was the worst part of the recovery was getting all the drugs out of your system. You're so nauseous and you're sick. I mean, any kind of thing, but. Isn't it crazy how, how, what you were saying before about, you know, I, I, I would take the numb face the, the like half a numb mm. face and how, how like relative to what you were experiencing, like, oh. you know, me, you know, the average person sitting around just like feeling normal and you were like, Hey, uh, half your face is going to be paralyzed and you're not going to be able to use like two of your fingers. That would be like super severe, but relative to what you were experiencing, it was just like, oh. it was just, it was just like, yeah, give it to me. If it means yeah. I don't yeah. have this. Like I remember it. I can't believe I didn't make. The, I can't believe this didn't trigger this memory earlier. And I won't go into depth because we've talked about it a lot on the podcast before. Um, I was in an experience where I thought I'm in so much pain, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be dead in 15 minutes. When we were in Brazil, and I mm, had that crazy yeah, right. that attack. You, you had a sunburn. It was. Uh, it I was, mean, technically, was, that is what it was. And, and uh, technically, that was the root of the problem. It was a really bad burn. You know, like that burn was like kind of t- like. You know, like how he didn't want to say it. Like he was avoiding. It. Like there was this experience. I mean, where the pain. I was just, the pain so I'm was. Like, I'm gonna have to go back well, and listen. To well, this. well, I didn't want to. Expi- I didn't want to explain was, it because I've explained it so many times. I mean, before. I mean, the pain was almost as bad as uh, trigeminal neuralgia. <laughs> you, really, I mean, you watched me. I did. You, I did. You watched me. It probably looked like I was possessed by Satan, and. And I was standing there going, dude, it's just a burn. It's just a sunburn. <laughs> and you said, if there's anything you, I can do for you, let me know. <laughs> and, and, and I was, I, you know, I was just in so much, like I was, I was convinced. I thought, I thought this needs to stop now or I am going to be dead. And that's, that's it. This pain is going to end my life if it doesn't stop. And, and then I woke up 
like a day, like 24 hours later because whoever gave me a massive dose of antihistamines and I conked out for 24 hours. And, uh, and, and just like that, like I would have taken, I would have given anything. I would have been like, mm-hmm. take my arm. Yeah. Take my, take my dick. Mm-hmm. Take it. You, um, s- you said that to me. Well, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you can stop again, this again, pain. Again, it's, it's a sunburn. If you can stop this pain, I will give it up right now. <laughs> like, I, 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 I can empathize with that with that Honestly, experience. Too, I'm, I'm surprised that this memory of my own personal experience didn't jump to mind right away. When you were talking about the severity of your pain, I was really hungover a couple weeks ago. What is this? What are we trying to one-up Susan here? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I was really hungover a couple weeks ago, and I was like... Take, take my dick. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah, you yeah, called me and so, said that. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, dude, yeah. it's just a hangover. It's just yeah. a hangover, dude. It'll be done yeah, by tonight. Yeah. And then I just, you know, just took some Advil and woke up the next day. And I was like, huh? Yeah, it's yeah. gone. So we're all pretty much on the same page here. <laughs> I, yeah, you, told, you get it. You get it. Do you do you now a couple of real empaths? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now that we've kind of derailed this whole fucking thing, um, do you guys want to hear something kind of interesting to kind of bring us back to uh, T? Uh, TN, yes. uh, a famous person who had uh, TN, uh, Travis Barker. Oh, really? Yeah. The drummer of uh, Blink-182. Crazy. Maybe that's why he that's, he channels all of his pain into the drumsticks. Dude, uh, sounds like he He's does. He's got a lot of rage on those kits. <laughs> those double, the double kick drum, you know, like... <laughs> like yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you're going to worry... Actually, speaking of that, like, you know, when I'm... When I'm in, well, you know what, now that I've I've kind of answered my own question here, when when I'm sick or like not well, I definitely like, I definitely get really um, moody. And like one thing that I, that I typically do to like deal with that is like, you know, like listen to some music that like sort of rage-esque to kind of like, like unearth the demons that I feel like are kind of inside me to kind of, uh, you know, to, to sort of manage the feelings. But when you're in that much kind of pain, like how, how were you around people, like around your family, around your kids, around your, your partner? Like, were you like, did, did the pain make you into someone that you aren't typically? Oh, oh, for sure. Um, mm. Cause like I said, you'd be sitting in the middle of dinner and this pain would hit you and Ugh. you'd literally have to get up and walk away. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So, and I mean, I'm a moody person on a good day. So um, <laughs> right. yeah, absolutely. Right. And uh, so this, I, you just don't want to be around people. You yeah. do not want to be around people at all. I, I know that, um, uh, people's experiences are all are all different around this, but um, my mom had uh, cancer, and uh, when she was going through her treatment, it was really um, challenging for us to talk about what she was going through. Like she would give me updates about how she was doing, but she she would always like omit like anything that was potentially scary, mm. um, and wouldn't be. You know, certainly wouldn't I wasn't her go-to person that she would talk to when she was, you know, feeling scared or feeling down or upset. And she had somebody. Fortunately, she had somebody else in her life to talk about that stuff with. But um, I know that when I had like afterwards, now that she's in remission and and doing much better, and we've had the chance to talk about these things, um, she's always told me that she just wanted to protect me and and not tell me about those things so that you know, it wouldn't have a, a negative effect on me too. 
And, you know, in talking, having these types of conversations with her, I always wanted her to know that if she needed somebody to talk to, that I could be that person too. Because for me, knowing that she's dealing with those scary, mm. um, and all of those emotions that, that come with the, the fear, the, the sadness, um, the grief, I, I'd rather be there with her, helping her to shoulder some of those emotions than having her deal with them on her own. Uh, I'm curious what your sort of relationship with your family was like when you were going through these experiences. Did you have someone to talk to or or were you more like my mom in not wanting to talk so much about those scary things with them? That's a great question because when I think back back to it, I didn't want to talk about it only because they didn't know what I was going through. Mm. Um, and... Uh, it wasn't so much that I wanted to protect them because fortunately this isn't terminal. This, you know, this wasn't that, that, uh, that option was not, not available. And, and, and I certainly didn't want to make it seem that, you know, it was something I wanted to protect them from, but it was just something where I just didn't want them to be bothered. And I remember saying to my husband, I said, if this doesn't work, this was actually after the first surgery in 2013. I said, if this doesn't work, I'm just going to go get an apartment on my own and you guys can come visit me. Just come visit me on Sunday afternoons. Mm. And uh, because you don't deserve somebody in your life that cannot, you know, have a, you can't, you can't have a life with. And I know you said in sickness and health, but this is different. This is Mm. not any kind of quality of life. And, you know, he kind of brushed it off. Like, don't be so, don't be so foolish. That's not an option. And, but I was so 100% serious. I did not want my family to see me in such agony. That's, I think that's why I always wanted to be away. I didn't mm-hmm. want them to see me in agony. It's a, yeah, that's a fascinating thought. Um, because like I can see both sides of it. Like I, I understand the wanting to, I, I had a, a therapy earlier today and, um, I was talking about this, like I've been on sort of on the edge of burnout the last, um, couple months. And I had an experience last night where, I was supposed to go to this event and I ended up telling them that I had to work late so that I wouldn't have to go because I just didn't have the mental capacity to go. And I was talking to my partner about this and when I was saying that to her last night, I was like, I don't have the capacity to go to this event and I'm feeling all these things. Uh, I feel guilty that I'm not going. I feel sad that I feel this way. I can rationally see what's going on, but these emotions I just can't hold back. And she was like, what do you, what do you need from me right now? Like what, like, how can I help you? Do you want to talk about it? And like, all I wanted was to just be on my own and like, be like, know that like that alone time, at least I would be able to start because I couldn't even shit. Like I can't show up in a relationship and, you know, communicate with people in my life effectively when, when I can't, you know, even process what I'm going through on my own. And so, um, when I was talking to my therapist today, she was like, yeah, like the, you know, it is important to be able to acknowledge that and know when you just need your own time to go and process those emotions. And so when I hear you, it sounds like, you know, like maybe it sounds a little bit even to you crazy to, to hear yourself saying that, like, I wanted to go live in an apartment on my my own and have them only come for Sunday afternoons. But at the same time, like, you know, how, like, I, I'm imagining that you're saying what you're really saying to me is that I can commit to showing up for them in my relationship for an afternoon each week, but it's hard for me to be there 
those other days if I can't yeah. be there for myself first. And so, exactly. yeah, I yeah, totally so understand true. that. Mm. So true. Um, Susan, I, I'd like to ask you a, a two-part question that, um, that we ask most of our, our Monday guests. Uh, the first part is, what would you say is the biggest thing that um, trigeminal neuralgia has taken away from you? Um, it has taken away plans, um, future planning. Like, you know, you always, I'm always afraid to say, okay, well let's do that. And then I, the first thing, well, what if I get sick again? Hmm. That's that, I think that's what it's taken away. It's, it's the fear of the planning. And I mean, everybody has that. I mean, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is make a plan. And cause I mean, obviously we don't have any control over anything, but I think that's my biggest fear. I always think like, what if I get sick if I'm here or, you know, it, that's my fear when, if I get sick again, hmm. what would you say? Is the, I'll be. What, would you, what would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? <clears throat> oh, perspective. 100% perspective. I'm so grateful um, to be able to talk about and share my story and know that I'm, pain and medication free once again. And I do not take any day for granted. Mm. I really don't. Well, and flossing, flossing <laughs> is a big thing too. Yeah. I make sure I floss every day because I can. I take it. Uh, um, you didn't, I'm surprised yeah. you didn't say for take away from you that it took away wearing tinfoil grills. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's what yeah, I was expecting, yeah. which is crazy that yeah. you didn't yeah. say that. I mean, if I had been through that, I would probably not wear tinfoil on my teeth anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, don't even say it. It hurts me. It hurts me. <laughs> I know. Feel weird. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> well, Susan, uh, I want to say, first of all, um, you were not awkward at all. So Sarah, <laughs> well, I don't know you. what you were talking really about. Zero, awkward. but, uh, zero awkwardness, really. <laughs> uh, and secondly, I want to say thank you. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to sit down with us and, and give us a bit of insight into something that we've never heard of before and something that uh, I think myself, the guys, and every single listener um, hopes that we never have to experience um, because it, it, it really, truly, you've been through the ringer um, and uh, we're, we're rooting for you. We're glad to know that, you know, this, this last procedure is so far so good. Um, and uh, please keep us updated. Keep us posted with your, your journey because it's, it's definitely fascinating. And I appreciate that. And I do appreciate the opportunity to share my story. And I just have one heartwarming story to share at the end. Uh, last August, I uh, went um, river rafting with, uh, with some friends and family. And we were, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever had the opportunity to do that. I'm actually a, I'm Tidal actually a, rafting. I'm a certified yeah. whitewater raft guide. Oh, um, well, there you go. Yeah. So and I that's, did that's not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I, I <laughs> went, uh, I've been tidal board rafting at rules. Oh, so it was fun. amazing. Fun. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, so this was, you know, three months after surgery and I, you know, you wow. get out and you're just wet and muddy and you're just laughing your head off. And my husband said, is that Dr. Pickett over there? No. And, and I, I wear glasses, so I couldn't see a thing. I was blind as a bat. And I said, I, I, so I went over and I went, Dr. Pickett. And she looked at me and she said, oh, my God, Susan. And um, her team, I guess it was that they were doing a team building thing. So her team, she's like, Mo, who was a, a, also another favorite doctor of mine. Look who it is. And she actually said, can I get a picture with you? I can't believe you're out here doing this after what we went through. So. Uh, and we always, that's, that's always very endearing to me. And yeah. 
I, I, I mean, I, I got it like, so you know, outside of just hearing how wild your story is, one of the, one of my favorite takeaways from this experience, um, in speaking to you is, is just hearing how, how positive an experience you had with a healthcare professional. Yeah. Um, because, you know, over the past six years doing this, we speak to, you know, we've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of people who are in the medical system for some, you know, some type of illness. And it's not uncommon for us to hear the negative, um, the negative uh, experiences that people tend to have in the healthcare system. And, and, uh, not to take away from what those experiences have been, I acknowledge that there are, people who are just not great at their job and there's people that have bad experiences in the healthcare system. But, but I'm also one to, um, I, I just really do love to hear the good stories because there are a lot of physicians, nurses, you oh, know, um, technicians, people out there that do a fucking incredible job. And, um, so to hear that you had such a positive mm-hmm. experience is just, it, it really made this episode that much more yeah. special for me. And for those medical professionals that are listening to hear this and know yeah. that, you know, one person can make all the difference yeah. in yeah. one patient's totally. journey. Yeah. So 100%. yeah, it's really amazing. She's, she's my, she's my light in this whole story. Cool. Shout out to Dr. Pickett. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> she's amazing. Well, thanks again, Susan. This has been a real treat. I appreciate it so much. It was great meeting you guys. Thank you. Really nice meeting you you. too. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.